0: Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for It Feels Like the End Times. I'm one of your hosts, Margaret Kiljoy, and the other host is...
1: Inman and we're here to talk to you about the dumpster fire that was 2023.
0: Oh, come on. It is generalized far beyond dumpster fire at this point. (laughs) Dumpster fire is like a nice contained thing, and you can push it in front of a line of cops, and so... This is our annual year in review as compared to our usual month in review. This one is for an entire year. It is for the year 2023, and it is coming to you in 2024, which we think makes sense. But first... This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another show on the network. And the reason that you haven't heard uh, jingles for us on other shows on the network isn't because they don't like us, but because we haven't recorded a jingle in a really long time and that's on us and we're terribly sorry. But here's a jingle for a different show. People need ordering
1: principles.
0: 12 Rules for What is a podcast about fascism and the far right. From the perspective of the left, it's obviously great stuff, but don't take our word for it. Here is a word from our sponsor. I'm Jordan Peterson.
1: Now that I have been injected with the anti fascist super soldier serum, I renounce all
0: my rubbish beliefs about hierarchies and the distribution of sex and dedicate my life, my soul, to the 12 rules for what podcast? So that's 12 rules for what? A podcast about the far right get it anyway, get podcasts. 12 rules. And we're back. Okay, so we have a lot to cover today because we're covering an entire year. We're not going to get into every single story. Um if we missed your favorite story, it's because we don't care about it and you should yell at us on Instagram. However, a lot of really fucking crazy shit happened in the past year, and um, I think that 2023 will stand as a sea change for society at large, accepting that things are not going back to the way they were. In a lot of ways, I think 2023 will stand as important of a year in history as 2020. 2020 obviously brought us COVID, but... 2023 brought us one, an ongoing genocide. I mean, unfortunately, those happen quite often, but there's one happening in Palestine right now as we record this that has been, um, its effects are being felt all throughout the world as people try to reckon with their own government's complicity in the ongoing genocide. Uh, Also, 2023 just destroyed every climate record and really marked a time when we can no longer pretend like climate change not just isn't coming, but isn't here. Because climate change is here. And when I first started the show, it was like, ha ha ha, what if everything went as bad as I would say? And actually, things are going, well, not worse than I expected. They're going about (laughs) as I expected, but way (laughs) worse than scientists expected. Uh, We'll talk about that later. First, we want to start with some impromptu, we didn't plan enough in memoriam. And 2023, we lost a lot of really amazing people. And we lost more people, of course, than, than we'll be able to, to give time for today. But we're going to talk about four anarchists who died this year, whose memories um, will live on. And that's one of the beautiful things about being involved in a movement is that the work that you do uh, is felt, reverberates throughout history. I don't have a good, great summation of how important all of this is because it's heavy. First, on January 18th, 2023, Tortuguita was killed by Atlanta Police Department. Tortuguita was a a Venezuelan eco-anarchist who was part of the Stop Cop City movement in Atlanta, which I I'm kind of guessing everyone who's listening to this is at least somewhat aware of. We'll talk a little bit more about it later but not really focus too much on it. And you, if so, you probably remember when Tortuguita died, but we just want to remember them again. Uh, next, August died.
1: Yeah, um, August Golden was a musician uh, activist and just fucking rad person um, who was living in Minneapolis and on uh, August 14th was um, shot at a punk show in Minneapolis. Um, And, you know, to the best of stories that I've heard at least like, like, was possibly like specifically targeted for having like told some creepy fucking dudes to like leave the show. And
0: that's what I've heard too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I knew August a little bit and um not, not very well and not in, in years. Um, but like every, there's just been like this really overwhelming, like outpour of like, like a uh, love and celebration of that person's life um since August. And yeah, we'll miss you. And then in December we lost a a pretty prolific anarchist writer.
0: That's right. On December sixth, twenty twenty three, Alfredo Bonanno died. He was eighty-six years old. It's it's still sad when people die in their eighties, but it's Alfredo Bonanno got to, got to do his fucking life. And he's primarily remembered remembered as like the insurrectionary anarchist writer. Uh, There are many, many other insurrectionary anarchist writers, but in particular, his work Armed Joy, and a lot of other works, honestly, have been incredibly influential on anarchism in general. And I really recommend that people, even if you don't identify with insurrectionary anarchism, I don't personally identify as an insurrectionary anarchist, but I love the insurrectionary anarchist tendency, as I love all of our tendencies, all of the ones that are actual tendencies, unlike those <laughs> fake-ass ones. I I really highly recommend reading Bananas' work, even if it's just to challenge your own conceptions, if you're coming from a much more organizationalist perspective, And, yeah, he was an Italian anarchist who just fucking did it all and just kept going for a long time. He's been arrested a bunch of times. Uh, He spent a year and a half in jail just for publishing Armed Joy. And if you haven't read it, you should read an anarchist piece that's short that got someone to spend a year and a half in jail literally just for writing it. So that is him. Yeah. And then finally, uh, we lost Clee.
1: Yeah, on December thirty first or or thirtieth, I've heard different things. Um, uh, we Clee uh, and Ali uh, joined his ancestors. Clee um, was a, a writer and land defender, musician, um, podcast host, um, and just overall incredible, and amazing person. Um, Klee was uh, about to be doing some some book talks uh, for his book No Spiritual Sur- No Spiritual Surrender, uh, which is out from Detritus Books, I think.
0: Um, Detritus.
1: Detritus Books. Um, this is like how I can't say the word f- foliage. I say f- foliage, foliage. I can't say foliage. Um,
0: I've never tried. It's never come <laughs> up in my life. <laughs>
1: um weirdly similar any sorry I'm god uh Klee was just like uh I met Klee a few times especially when I was younger um in Arizona and like um I have probably never felt like so challenged by someone and someone's writings in like really good and important ways and like I don't know yeah that's 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 what I have to say. It, it, this one hit me particularly hard because this is someone who's like part of communities in Arizona that I'm peripheral to, and like,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah I I was really caught off guard when Clee died. Uh, he was 48. Um, he was Denae, and he did. More visible work than anyone I can immediately point to about not just indigenous anarchism, but challenging European anarchism and anarchists who come from the European anarchist background and or European backgrounds. And I will shout out that Klee in one sentence changed my perspective on everything by him challenging me. I was... I was traveling and I was giving a talk about 10 years ago about my book, A Country of Ghosts, at Talahujan, the, um, the indigenous anarchist info shop in Flagstaff, Arizona. And Clee listened to my talk. And then during the question and answer, it was like, you know that this whole continent was destroyed by people who look like you, who had utopian ideas, right? And I, I don't remember the exact way that he phrased it, but it wasn't, polite no it was polite but it wasn't it wasn't afraid to be challenging and it wasn't like hand-holdy right it was direct but it wasn't a like fuck you either it was by by my read and and maybe i'm right maybe i'm wrong by my read it was like an invitation to be better and uh and i really appreciated it and I've read some of Clee's writing and I actually don't know what of Clee's writing was and wasn't anonymous. So I I don't know which pieces to talk about as being particularly influential. Um, But we, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We're, yeah. Hope that everyone just takes a moment to remember as the year passes, like these, these four wonderful people and the, uncountable others that we've lost this this past year
0: yeah and I will say I mean and it's there are new people you know and there are and this the the we stand on the shoulders I don't have anything inspirational to say it just it it influences me a lot it affects me a lot but I I think that there's this is this is the way the the world works you know uh (laughs) Okay, so Stop Cop City, which Tortuguita died for, uh, continues. And we're not going to talk too much about that. There's plenty of they, – they actually do really good PR and you can find out a lot more about Stop Cop City. But I will just say that if you're only paying attention really peripherally, it's worth noting that the protesters are getting RICO charges and domestic terrorism charges for if, if fucking nothing. And no matter your political allegiance, it is worth paying attention to the criminalization of this kind of dissent. Basically, the as everything gets crazier, the authoritarian state is trying to double down on cops and authoritarianism, and we shouldn't let them. And uh, I think that in terms of a diversity of tactics, I think Stop Cop City has a, a lot to teach us, but we also need to stand with them and protect them. Yeah, and then we're gonna talk about and the then, elections.
1: Oh God! The wait, I have a funny thing about the elections. Okay, do you want it now or later?
0: Let's hear it. What do you got?
1: Okay, so um, in some there there have been these news articles popping up in my my algorithm about um Ron DeSantis, you know who's who's running for president probably or is um
0: yeah, but he's, uh, he's got nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um who's uh actively trying to lie about his height? Have you heard about this? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, of course he is. Yes, he he is claims he short? to Yeah, he claims to be well, no. I mean I uh, will uh, I don't know. I whatever. well I'm short, whatever. Um, He's
0: not as tall as he says he is.
1: Yeah, he claims to be 5'10 um, uh-huh. and there's all these, like, people, like, shoemakers and stuff who have been, like, looking at his shoes and being, like, his shoes are weird. I think he's wearing four-inch heels and that it's, like, built into this weird boot that looks like a normal shoe. <laughs>
0: that rules. Fuck yeah. uh, Which, which if, if, if he...
1: Yeah, which would, 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 would you make him, like, five-seven or something, which would make him one of the shortest presidents uh, yeah. if he were elected president.
0: There's this awful thing that just studies... Uh, when in doubt, the taller man wins an election in this country and has Whoa. since... There's like, There's been occasional exceptions to this. I fell down a rabbit hole about this a long time ago. So we are not going to be like, ah, I think this is going to be this guy with this t- sub-president, vice-president. Um, that's You can get that news anywhere. I wanted to talk about the elections because I want to talk about the fact that we're in an election year and how it relates to crisis. Mm-hmm. And If you recall, 2020 was a year of crisis around the election, especially very early in 2021. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, it is entirely possible that we will see a repeat of 2020 in which nothing in the end really happens, right? Uh, It is entirely possible nothing in particular will happen. And it is entirely possible. I give it a very low percent chance. uh, I I give it a 5% chance that this will cause a civil war in the United States. However... I would like to say that a 5% chance is a really high chance when you're talking about something like Civil War, right? If I were to get in my car right now and drive to the store and I had a 5% chance of dying, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't get in my car. I'd be like, you know what? I don't need vegetables today. I can wait till the weather's better, right? There's a lot of snow and ice where I'm at right now. And also, if you play Dungeons & Dragons, you know what a 5% chance is like. That is a 1 or a 20 on the 20-sided die. So I would just say... In the year of our Lord, 2024, be be aware, be careful. I used to think this election was... I was like, oh, Trump versus Biden again. We know how that goes. We've seen it before, right? But Biden has completely torpedoed all of his base, his support from the base, by supporting a genocide in Palestine. And Trump probably will go to prison if he doesn't win the election, (laughs) So he's got a lot to lose. And uh, so it could get complicated. And I would just say take it into account in your planning. Take it into account in your decisions about where you want to be this fall geographically. Um, I'm not going to tell you whether or not to fucking vote. That's between you and your maker. And... I don't know. That's what I got to say about the election. It could be sketchy.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I in thinking about how you prepare for like such an event, like, I don't know. I, I remember during the last election when it's like there and, you know, there was so much other shit going on in the world, but like more so than the, like, horrors that Trump introduced into, like, the government or into, like, legislation or, like, any of that, like, remember that this person has, like, a really fanatical base that, like, yeah. that that killed a lot of people in the last, yeah. like, eight years or, like, whatever, you know? Yeah.
0: And we shouldn't be afraid of that, right? Or yeah. I mean, we shouldn't make our decisions based on that fear. And, like, it is worth remembering that all of the culture war shit is actually like a losing proposition for the far right. And it does not want them a wide electoral base. And more importantly than that, it hasn't won them a wide. The random average person, I keep saying this and eventually people will get mad at me at some point. I'm sure the average random center, right person you're going to meet in a rural area. Isn't like waiting to kill all the gay people, yeah. you know? Um, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't like assume well we should i don't know whatever what are all the dumb cliches everyone uses every time someone says keep your head on a swivel i like hate it yeah it's like the word huzzah i hate the word huzzah i shouldn't there's no reason to i'm part of cultures that say huzzah like because i'm a nerd right (laughs) and i am part of like leftist gun culture whether i like really want to admit that or not um, and so I'm around people who say stay frosty and keep your head on a swivel unironically. But I'd yeah. rather you just said huzzah. Because yeah. I hate all of it. <laughs>
1: um, well, y- you know who is trying to uh, fuck with trans people, Margaret?
0: Ooh, is this a good segue?
1: This is a good segue. I mean, it's not a good segue. It's just...
0: <laughs> it's good it's as a segue. a segue, not a segue good into good as a news. segue yeah
1: um so 2023 was a pretty horrifying year for like anti-trans anti-queer legislation um we saw things like the country of russia can just completely outlawing like gender affirming care of any kind to adults or 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 children or youth like whatever um except in the except in the case of like genetic anomalies, which is code for like um, fucking with intersex people. Um, And then, you know, in other places we saw like, like England um, had a lot of like anti-trans legislation around like um, around specifically around the youth and gender affirming care for the youth Um, in the United States. Um, there were 75 like anti queer trans um laws across 23 states stemming from 500 bills that were proposed in the year of 2023 um some it, of these It are, does
0: mean that more than 4 out of 5 got shot down.
1: Yeah, it's something like 15% and I I can't do math. Um Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, in in the face of but it's it's like a slim amount of them were passed, like and by Just slim me. I mean like yeah, but yeah. there's so much energy and attention going into this that it's like like it's horrifying that there were 500 bills proposed. Um 21 of those are on transition related care for minors. Um some of those are outright bans. Um and some of them are have a lot of like like caveats and addendums. Um And there's also a lot of effort going into, um, I think the right has realized that they, that outright bans are difficult to get support for Mm -hmm. in some places. Um, and so there've been a lot of like, instead of having outright bans, uh, making it structurally impossible or improbable that care could be provided, even if it was technically legal, um.
0: Okay, like what they did to abortion before they overturned Roe v. Wade.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so there's like... Your gender-affirming
0: care facility can only have hallways that are 26 inches wide, whereas every other hallway for every non-gender-affirming care place can only have 27-inch wide hallways, that kind of shit.
1: That's what they fucking
0: did with abortion clinics. Anyway, sorry.
1: Oh, no, you're good. Yeah, no, that's exactly... it's, It's stuff like that. Like in Missouri, for example, there was a... Um, there was this new ban on, uh, gender affirming care for minors. Um, but people f- who were already like receiving, uh, like transitional care, like hormones and stuff were kind of grandfathered in to continue to receive care. Um, but they also passed a legislation that made it so that form that current or former patients were, who are minors, um, who were allowed to sue their providers for like 36 years or something, which Holy means that shit. a lot of parents are going to be suing their providers, like either because their mm-hmm. parents are like, like horrifying bigots, or because they're trying to get money out of their providers. And so uh, like pretty universally, like like hospitals and stuff that were providing gender affirming care for minors who had been grandfathered into, uh, continue to receive care were like, we can't continue to provide care because of the liability. And yeah. so it's like, there's not an outright ban, but <laughs> they've made it just impossible for people to actually receive care. Um,
0: That's cool. He,
1: yeah. And you know, there, there, there were a bunch of, there was a bunch of similar bills like that in Texas for like, a, like um, abortion access and abortion care. Um, 10 of the laws limit classroom instruction, um, eight of the laws, uh, restrict restroom usage, um, and the rest are related to drag performances, which are like, which we, we all remember was like a, a huge topic, continues to be a huge topic and was like a huge hot button issue for, for the far right over this past year, um. This is a this is a newer one. I saw this in the headlines the past couple of days. But um, Ted Cruz has introduced a new bill to limit funding to workplaces for the purpose of using money to in somehow enforce using pronouns or preferred names, <laughs> which is ironic because Ted Cruz's legal name is not Ted Cruz; it's Raphael. So, like, <laughs> he has uh, crafted legislation that could be used to affect him, but obviously won't be used to affect him. Um, yeah, that that's a lot of really bad things for queer and trans people like us this past year.
0: Okay. Here's a weird... Everyone's gonna get mad at me for this one, too. You know at large institution that is traditionally not on the side of LGBT folks that... <laughs> is standing up about both Palestine and LGBT folks this year? Who? The Vatican.
1: (laughs) Wait, really? That is news to me, actually. Yeah, no. um, On both counts?
0: Yeah. So the Palestine thing is a little bit more obvious and direct, and you'll see, you know, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about Palestine, but it shouldn't be the main issue. But, you know, um, I don't know. I was talking to someone the other day where they were like, someone who doesn't like... The Catholic Church, but who was like, it is the largest institution in the world that is speaking up about Palestine because no fucking government is besides like, well, some governments are, right? And some governments are doing a lot. No, some
1: some governments are doing... Sorry, I just want to counter that. There are some governments that are doing a lot and it's really fucking cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's what we... We're going to talk about that more in a bit. Um, But but yeah, um, the... The Pope is outspoken about the Palestine issue and um, not being in favor of uh, what's happening there. Uh, But also, there's this thing, this is a complete minor thing that I just find really interesting. All of these right-wing fucks who come from evangelical backgrounds, who are like Christian (laughs) nationalists, were like, well, we like authority, fascist-y things, right? What kind of looks like that in a super Christian? The Catholic Church. So we're all going to join we're all going to become trad caths we're all going to like stop being evangelical protestants and start becoming catholics right um God. and then they realize that the catholic church is not uh the catholic church has fucking problems it's not a racist organization like on the level that they want it to be right like it is a fundamentally um uh, racially diverse uh, <laughs> yeah, group yeah, yeah. and so they're all like freaking out and then also specifically um the Pope dismissed a conservative U.S. bishop named Strickland um, because basically he was like, oh, I'm not fucking getting into the politics of this shit too much right now. <laughs> but basically, like, th- the church is, like, trying to be like, hey, we don't actually hate gay people, even though we kind of aren't, like, really cool with gay sex, but that's only because we're kind of not cool with any sex because, like, we're weird Catholics. Um <laughs> And then all of these like right wingers are like, what, what do you mean? I thought this was about like killing everyone. And so then they're all getting kicked out of the Catholic church and then they're all like (laughs) freaking out about it. It is the funniest thing for me and for probably (laughs) no one who's listening. is like watching, you can like go onto Twitter and see all these tradcasts be like, I'm starting to think that this is a bad organization for us to have joined. Anyway, there's been all this shit where um, a lot of religious communities and are stepping up their defense of LGBT folks, um, and I, I just want to like the, the the culture war, even in the like terms of like large weird in- institutions, is a complicated one. That's what I got.
1: Yeah, it's just funny and, to read about. Yeah, yeah, and it's like as as much like as much like bad like you know horrifying legislation that's being that's being passed. There's. There's also there's a ton of resistance and there's a ton of people who are like that like who are not trying to see the United States specifically turn into like a like a more more polarized, like bigoted yeah. hell world for, for queer and trans people. Um, yeah. despite the it was like the UN declared like a state of emergency in the United States for queer and trans people this past year. So we
0: should make sense. There's, Christian nationalism is a fucking evil thing that is trying to take over the United States which is funny because the United yeah. States is already an evil country like we are the, this is my attempt to transition into Palestine, oh, yeah. like, we are the the Israel to Palestine, like it's just it, it just already happened and continues to happen but you know it's like we got like 400 years on 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 Israel in terms of being a settler colonial state Uh, yeah doing a bunch of genocide
1: yeah and i don't know I'll, I'll, i'll actually i'm gonna segue into this a little bit later um but yeah so is israel's been carrying out a genocide in palestine since october 7th i mean they've been carrying out a genocide in palestine for like over 75 years but the most recent incarnation of that has been since october 7th um Uh, I'm not going to go over the broad strokes of it because if you have not heard about this and have not seen a ton of news about it since October, then you live in a very different world than the rest of us. Um, Over 28,000 Palestinians have been killed um, since October 7th. Um, Two-thirds of those are women and children. Um, The current statistic is that a child dies every 10 minutes in Gaza, um, which is an utterly horrifying statistic. Um, About 4% of the population of the Gaza Strip, which is more than 90,000 people, are now dead, wounded, uh, or missing. Um, This is being considered like a, an extreme mass stabilizing or sorry, mass disabling and mass de- destabilizing event. Um, and, you know, it's like, like I'm, I'm not critiquing people who put out like infographics at all. Like the infographics on like Instagram and social media are like incredibly informative. Um, and there is a lot of focus on the, the death tolls and less focus on the amount of people who are, uh, who are now like becoming or have become disabled since, um, since the, the start of this most recent wave of, of genocide. Um, about 70% of civilian infrastructure has in Gaza has been destroyed. Um, this includes 318 schools, uh, 1612 industrial facilities, 169 health facilities, including 23 hospitals, 57 clinics, 89 ambulances, 201 mosques, three churches, and 169 press offices. Um, the death toll, which this is for as of a f- like a few days ago, I think, um, is about 28,000, and that includes 12,000 children, 6,100 Women, two hundred and forty-one healthcare workers, and one hundred and five journalists, um,
0: which is like with, more journalists than were killed in like World War Two total, or something like that. It's like some. Yeah. There's just like astounding, weird. It's it's uh, a. <laughs> it's not an accident.
1: Yeah, and you know this is something that people have been talking about for you know a, a very very long time. At this point, is that Israel like very specifically targets journalists. Um, yeah in their, in their airstrikes. Um, and this is at the, like uh, as far as like Israel has is reported, there, I think there have been like, I think like less than 500 Israeli soldiers have been killed in the conflict since October 7th. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of criticism about these, um, or there's a lot of talk about these statistics and these numbers um, from from a lot of sides, the, the right wing is saying that these numbers are completely inflated. Um, and then, you know, people on, I don't want to say the left people who are thinking reasonably about the world, um, see it as being vastly underreported because it is because of how difficult it is to like actually ascertain the amount of damage that's been done. Um, Yeah. Um so that's really really horrible. Um and the uh as some things that have happened kind of like in in the United States at least. Um there was also this it I think it's like part of this kind of like polarizing culture war that we've all been experiencing for a while at this point. Um but the uh, US Congress had a bill uh, go into effect that Kind of effectively defines anti redefines anti semitism as being anything that criticizes the state of Israel, yeah, yeah, which is fucking crazy. And it was opposed by two people. Do you want to guess who those two people were or like what their backgrounds were?
0: Uh, Palestinian, wait, we only have one Palestinian senator, right?
1: Yeah, it was a Palestinian, (laughs) yeah, and A libertarian from Kentucky who thought that it was a little like that the bill like a too broadly defined (laughs) anti-semitism and like I feel like probably because he was worried about his own anti-semitism coming into conflict you know
0: maybe but but libertarian I don't know this guy yeah libertarians historically libertarians recently have gone worse but libertarians historically are like they I mean they're right wing but they they sit outside of traditional right left in a lot of ways
1: you know yeah no that's um, true that's true I don't know this person's intentions. I don't, I I don't hope, know this one guy yeah hope they're cool but probably but, not so in terms of like like you know outcry um there's there's a lot of it in the U.S. people have there and all over the world there have been these like like mass marches, mass mobilizations, like millions of people showing up for for demonstrations, especially in like areas around Palestine, um, which is amazing. Um, yeah, in the U.S. and like I'm just focusing on a couple of things in the U.S. There's like people have been targeting different Israeli companies and different um, uh, companies that sell things like arms and technology to Israel and like doing things like there's like been these like indigenous, like water protector blocks who have been like going out in boats and like blocking ships from being able to leave port and just a lot of really incredible stuff happening. Um, but who kind of, I don't want to say like takes the prize, but like, like guess who's been showing up in like in absolutely ridiculous way. Jews. Jews. Yeah, um, that is not where I was going, but oh. yes, Jews, Jews, Jews have been showing up in really incredible ways, especially in like fighting this idea that um, criticizing Israel is anti-Semitic or that Israel has anything to do with Judaism or Jewishness.
0: Well, like relates um, to it, but it relates to it antagonistically half the time.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But where I was going was uh, um, the country of Yemen.
0: Oh yeah, Uh yeah. Let's hear about
1: it. um, So uh, there, there are these like these trade routes that Israel uses through, um, you know, these like narrow narrow waterways, Um, and Yemen controls one of them and has totally blocked Israeli ships from going through it, um, which is has a lot to do with like like shipping like oil and like just anything. Israel has been blocked from shipping things through the the portages that make the most sense and has been forced to like sail completely around Africa which has <laughs> cost them billions of dollars um Hell Yemen yeah. has also like they've just literally attacked Israeli ships they've in with with missiles and shit um so y- y- Yemen is Yemen is showing the fuck up um in terms of like a lot of like Western countries, Ireland is sh- really showing up, which yeah. is not surprising.
0: Yeah, I was what to say. I was like, "Why did you sound surprised? What are you doing?" Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, not surprising at all. Like in especially like the UN, there's all these like videos of like like uh, of Irish politicians basically being like, "What the fuck is wrong with everyone?" Yeah, <laughs> which is incredible. Um. And South Africa is suing Israel in international court for um, genocide. Yeah, um, which you know, it's it's interesting to me that, um, like South Africa, a country that has that was um, uh, affected is not the right word. Um, well,
0: by, I know apartheid uh, better than anyone yeah. else.
1: Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I got about, about Palestine. Um,
0: keep Okay, my, like, my, it's hard to put a positive spin on any of this. Although, like, things like people stepping the fuck up is, is that one of the things that's so interesting to me about this is if you told me 20 years ago that the media consensus around Israel would be broken, I would either not believe you or be jumping for joy. Because... As long as I've been involved in activism, people have been, you know, on the the anarchist left and whatever, have been like trying to show up for Palestine in various ways, right? And be in solidarity in various ways. But it has always been like wildly a minority position because Israel has always successfully used the manipulation of the idea that to be anti-Israel is anti-Semitic. And and that's finally breaking. And I really want to say that, like, I think a lot of that breaking is because of groups like, um, uh, what is it called? Jewish Voices for Peace? JVP, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: And, like, the work of being clearly on the front line and saying not in our name and, like, because that kind of activism, I think, matters more than it like often does. Like usually when I'm like, oh, like not in our name is just like kind of like some liberal nonsense that like people will shout sometimes, right? In other contexts. But in this particular context, I find it very useful because I think breaking the media narrative and the political narrative is necessary for any chance for the American people to put pressure on lawmakers to push for a ceasefire. and or, honestly, like, I have never seen such a stark division between all mainstream media outlets and the government on one side mm-hmm. and everyone in the country on the other side. Because yeah. I don't think it's leftists who are against the genocide in Palestine. It is, like like you said, it's anyone who's paying any kind of attention to what's happening. And that is really, really promising to me. Um, that's my... I don't know. The The question is whether or not it'll, like, work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't want to spread cynicism, so.
1: Yeah, but there are some not-so-promising things on the world's horizon.
0: Yeah. Oh, is this your uh, climate transition? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> so the main thing hmm not the main thing I want to talk about all the stuff that we (laughs) talked about but I I started off by saying 2023 is the year where we can no longer in any way ignore climate change right Um, it is the year where it really like became clear to a great deal of the world that climate change is not just coming but is here and so I'm going to talk about a little bit some of the ways that we know that. 2023 was the hottest year on record across the world. Some of the cities in the United States that experienced their hottest every year last year include, and these are only some of them, Albany, Austin, Baltimore, Baton Rouge, Burlington, Vermont, El Paso, Houston, Jackson, Key West, Lexington, Little Rock, Miami, Milwaukee, Mobile, Nashville, New Orleans, New York City, Orlando, Raleigh, Richmond, San Antonio, Tampa, Tampa, and Worcester. Is it Worcester? The sauce is Worcester. I think the town is Worcester. Worcester? Yeah, Why? just pick one. Okay, anyway. Uh, Well, they won't have to pick one because it's too hot to make their sauce. (laughs) Phoenix, Arizona became the first major U.S. city to average 100 degrees or higher during a month with a July average of 102.7. November 17th was the first time that global temperatures reached two degrees above pre-industrial levels. Overall, we hit 1.46 Celsius above global pre-industrial te- levels. With 1.5 being the level that the Paris Agreement was like supposed to be about avoiding, the UN says that there's a 66% chance that we'll hit 1.5 degrees Celsius in the next four years. Europe is the fastest warming continent, warming twice as fast as anywhere else. I hate to be like, well, it's your fault anyway. But I mean... <laughs> um anyway but whatever yeah yeah uh the the COP28 summit finally saw countries like finally in 2023 countries agreed to transition away from fossil fuels entirely they're like we'll be net zero by 2050 which is hilarious because we're all going to be dead by 2050 i i hate to say this but um i'm going to talk a little bit about ways that we might be not dead by 2050 but like <laughs> That's too late. Okay, anyway, so uh, Florida Keys hit water of 100 degrees this year. Antarctic ice was at an all-time low. The rainforest had a drought. Swiss glaciers were still melting in October. The Mediterranean floods were 50 times more likely than a usual year. And uh, this caught climate scientists off guard. Climate scientists, like, at least according to... I'm sure there's climate scientists that did not catch off guard. But, like, yeah. even climate scientists tended to have, at least the ones who were talking to the media about these certain types of things, have, like, a slightly... There's a lot of scientists, as far as I can tell, who are, like, we can't really communicate everything because then we'll just have, like, worldwide panic, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don 't like any of this, but I also feel vindicated. I don't feel good about being feeling vindicated, but there's this thing where I have looked at what has been communicated through the media for the past fifteen years and been like that is uh, wildly optimistic and um like irresponsibly optimistic is how I have felt about it. <laughs> And I have tended to, even amongst my peers, not be believed about how bad I think that things are going to get. Um, and I've probably talked about this on the show before. And in some ways, this show is like the reflection of of that. And yet at the end of it all, I'm not a doomer. I think things are really bad and they're yeah. going to be really bad, but we need to just Actually notice that, take a real look at what's happening. I want to, um, I don't know whether the episode will come out before or after this one will, but I just did a an interview. Oh, here's positive news. Uh, the anarchist prisoner, Eric King, who spent almost 10 years in lockup, finally got out for um, an, a direct action that was uh, related to the Ferguson uprisings. And yeah. and I just had a conversation with him that you all may or may not have already heard and one of the you know it was about how to survive prison and you know in some ways whenever you ask someone how to survive prison you're kind of like looking for the like hopeful like oh i can just like keep my head down and read books and stay out of the fights right you know and like a lot of his, a lot of his advice was like learn how to fight you know and like because we actually just need I don't want to say we don't need people to hold our hands. We need to hold each other's hands. Mm -hmm. But what we need to do is soberly face what appears to be happening. And what appears to be happening is the dissolution of the climate that we grew up in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that climate change is happening faster and with more chaotic effects than we have been told and all of the methods that we have been told that will work to stop or alleviate climate change are not effective. I want to read I want to read some Washington Post headlines. They have a they actually have a better climate section than any other major newspaper as far as I can tell. I actually canceled my subscription. I like subscribe to a lot of the newspapers because I do work yeah, and need need access to it. Sense. I actually finally canceled my New York Times subscription mostly over the Palestine issue because they're just um propaganda for israel but washington post is better climate uh, reportage anyway but even washington post you can see the media spin i'm just going to read you some headlines god indoor house plants come with a cost to the planet here's how to minimize it how soon do you have to buy heat pumps and electric vehicles to avoid climate catastrophe renewables and electric vehicles are soaring it's still not enough Companies made big climate pledges. Now they are balking on delivering. Companies capture a lot of CO2. Most of it is going into new oil. ExxonMobil doubles down on fossil fuels with 59.5 billion pioneer deal.
1: Are these Onion articles? Is this the game? Of right, no, is it an are, Onion article or not? Those are,
0: <laughs> those are literally all Washington Post from about the past month or so. They're all currently on the website. Golly. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because the juxtaposition between, hey, maybe you should get a heat pump and put solar on your roof and think about getting your, your house plants from somewhere local. Like, I do literally all of those things. I swapped out my oil furnace for a heat pump. I put solar panels on my roof. I went into debt in order to do so. I actually did these as preparation things because uh, whatever. Like, you know, they don't stop climate change. The The stopping of fossil fuel infrastructure stops climate change. There is no other thing. There are other things that are big, like uh, changing the way that our agriculture works to not have um, factory farming and like distribution of animal products across the country. Ironically, centralizing... Uh, Centralizing grain production actually lowers the envir- embedded greenhouse gases as compared to, like, it's complicated. Um, <laughs> but, um, like, there's stuff. But ending fossil fuel infrastructure is, like, the only thing. And then the other thing is that it's, like, and then, okay, the doomerism is it's too late, right? <laughs> and it it is too late to not have climate change. But yeah. there's, like, When you're watching a genocide, it's too late to have the genocide not happen. It's never too late to stop the genocide from happening. You
1: can you know? always choose to stop.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we need to stop climate change. Um, it is too late to peace and love. Everything's going to be totally fine. Everything can keep going the way it used to, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a difference between a world in which we can survive and a world in which we can't. And like I know that I'm, I'm just going to like finish out my – I think it is very likely that we during our lifetimes will need to grow all of our food underground or inside. Mm-hmm. I think that is entirely possible. I think it is entirely possible that we will be looking at uh, mountain ranges and looking at how to put roofs between – well, like the – where I live, where the mountain ranges are right next to each other and they're a little bit short, you know, like mm-hmm. like roofing in things so that we can grow things inside and we can have some level of climate control, right? Uh, yeah. In order to have a consistent enough way to grow food. I think that it is entirely possible that um, everything will be different. Uh, I don't want that to be the case. Well, I do want everything to be different, but it's because I want like a mutual aid utopia where we all take care of each other and Etc. cetera, et cetera. But, um,
1: out of the question. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. That's, um, and I will say the, the best sober look that I have ever read about this is a book. Have you read ministry for the future by any chance? I've been mostly talking to the audience and not you in <laughs> but now I'm switching over talking to you. Inman.
1: <laughs> um, no, I have, I have not.
0: Okay, there's this book by Kim Stanley Robinson, who's like probably the most experienced climate um, fiction author in in English that I certainly that I am aware of, but has been writing climate fiction for a very long time. And Ministry for the Future is like, as far as I can tell, it's a couple years old now, his like best guess at like what could possibly pull us out of this tailspin. And Kim Stanley Robinson is not an anarchist, but has always been like anarchist adjacent or has always been friendly to anarchists. And we've like appeared sympathetically in many of his books. And oh, yeah. yeah, like the Mars trilogy is about terraforming Mars and it being complicated. Um, it has anarchist characters that are pretty explicit. And uh, the book Antarctica has like eco saboteurs and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. The book, The Ministry for the Future is about what he does best is less the like eco arson and more of the like UN organization tasked to fix climate change or whatever. So it's like yes. from that perspective, but they work hand in hand with, um, it's been a couple of years since I read it. I think the children of Kali or something like that, okay, which comes out of basically, since India is one of the countries that's going to be the most affected by climate change. Um, yeah. And they are uh, basically a, a direct action group that in that book is like just blowing up airplanes and just like absolutely being like fossil fuels are done and we're going to blow them the fuck up. Um, and now, and it's about the, not even the tension, but dare I say the dialectic between those (laughs) two forces, it is about the relationship between and how they can work together between, um, institutional, radical change and uh, direct action. Um, I I think what is happening is bigger than ideology. I think what is happening is bigger than anything that has happened in human history. Uh, and we are so blessed, I say that ironically, but in a weird way <laughs> I, I don't, to be... Alive during one of the most tumultuous things that will happen in the history of the earth. Um, and it's our fault, but it's not our fault as like because you didn't buy an electric vehicle fast enough. Um, yeah. It is the fault of a civilization that, you know, is a fault of Western civilization. Um, yeah. But it is our responsibility to do what we can about it. And or to try and survive what's coming. That's my. Sorry, has been. I've been thinking about this shit a lot.
1: No, I think that makes sense. And I just a couple of days ago I was talking to a friend about um, they're like a, uh, work outside a
0: lot, mm-hmm.
1: um, collecting plants, um, and like they're well, she, she's like a like a plant archivist. I'm forgetting the words for these things, mm-hmm. um. And, um, like, she was talking about, like, how in 10 years, probably, this is, you know, she, she she's, like, a botanist and a biologist and mm-hmm. s- studies this to some extent, but, like, like, like she thinks that in 10 years that the world will be not a comfortable place in more places to just, like, exist outside in.
0: Yeah, I think and, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and so, like, she's on this quest right now to, like, like, catalog as many plants as possible before they don't exist anymore. And before um, it becomes not like a lot less possible to like be out in the world doing that kind of work. Um, Like, yeah, like her 10 year plan is to like, not somehow not work outside anymore. Yeah. Um, Which is not going to be a reality for a lot of people, but yeah. It was very like, uh, oh yeah, this is not some like distant thing. This is like, this is, this is um.
0: What's happening, happening now? Yeah. What's yeah.
1: happening right now? Yeah. 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 Um, so you know, that's not like a that's not like a hopeful, whatever. Um, but I don't know. I do want to. I do want to say that, like you know. 2023 was a lot of really bad things happened in it and I think people are also like doing a lot more about all of this stuff and like I don't know it's like the I feel like there's this kind of like joke especially in like activist or like anarchist circles that it's like the um, uh, like the, the, the true revolutionary spirit comes out when the most repression and horrifying shit happens. And I don't know. I hope that at least at least more bad things happening means that more people are doing more to stop bad things from happening. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny as, like, historically I tend to think that it's actually not repression that brings out resistance, but as much as... um like when people are like repressed for a really long time, it doesn't necessarily make them resist as much as like when there's like things get slightly better and then that reverses really quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think oh, it's, I see. Yeah. it is more often, but that is also part of what's happening right now. And, and yeah, I think that we can look at more and more people showing up for Palestine uh, and more and more people showing up for the climate. And I think that that will continue and will continue to grow. And I think that uh, another random weird positive thing that's happened in the past couple years or past year in 2023 is that the prepper space is no longer a right-wing space, mm-hmm. I think. Um, when I look at mainstream, like when you look at like prepper Reddit, right? It is like people talking about how they can take care of their communities as well as like get ready for themselves. And it is like a, that is a sea change, right? And I that yeah. gives me hope. Um, okay, one other like not actually really positive, but funny, almost <laughs> positive. You know that DC was built on a swamp.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a, lot a low of, liby- a lot of major cities were.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, DC is built in a low low lying delta like New Orleans, but it was constructed on top of rubble fill, and the Federal Triangle, which unfortunately includes a lot of museums, and I like museums, is built on land reclaimed from Tiber Creek, which is occasion which was eventually buried and turned into a sewer. The U.S. capital is sinking. (laughs) Uh, Sea level is rising. The, like, abandoned, the, like, forgotten creeks are returning and just using roads. And this will fuck up a bunch of poor people. Like, D.C. is, like, um, although it's gentrified, like, fuck since uh, I first lived near it. But um, it's still, like... a city with a lot of marginalized people living in it—it's And it's not going to like just directly affect the lawmakers. So it's only symbolically beautiful that the the DC is sinking. Practically, it's actually a disaster and a crisis.
1: Yeah, golly, which is that a is good
0: a- metaphor for civilization itself. We can be like, "Hooray, civilization's collapsing!" You are like, "Oh wait, who's that going to affect the most?" Oh shit, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which you, I, you know, I I hope everyone. Knows this? We are not eco fascists. No, like, yeah. If you are getting that from this show, you are listening to the wrong
0: show. Listening wrongly, you are listening. You yeah. <laughs> are
1: listening wrongly, um, Margaret. You know what? Other really, you know what kind of cool thing happened in twenty twenty three? What? Um, this this podcast, uh, which you are maybe familiar with, I think, uh, "Live Like the World Is Dying." Um, sounds familiar. Yeah, we. We hit a hundred episodes. Oh shit! In twenty twenty three, You and
0: hit any other milestones.
1: Yeah, we we also hit over a million downloads.
0: Hell fucking yeah!
1: Yeah, like, and I don't know. It's I, <laughs> I feel like oh oh, and I came on as a host in twenty twenty three, which I think is pretty.
0: Was it only heartable. a year ago?
1: It was less than a year ago. Wow, actually, yeah. Yeah. Well, we switched to, we switched to being weekly too, which was, has made it seem a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's like, I, I, I hope that, I hope that more people listening to the show, I hope that us doing more, um, even though every time I get on the air, I'm like, wait, how do you be a person? How do you say things? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I, it's been really amazing to see this show be important to people and to see this show be helping people have more conversations, more conversations about COVID, more conversations about disability, more conversations about preparedness, more conversations about the dumpster. I'm going to say dumpster fire again. That is it's our okay. country. Um, but thanks everyone for supporting the show and thank you for, Listening to us rant and all of our Lord of the Rings jokes.
0: Yeah, we didn't get a single one in this time.
1: It's true.
0: Uh, We failed you. You have failed me.
1: Yeah, that's why we're ending the
0: episode. Should we end the episode? Should we? Should we sign out?
1: Probably. Do you? Do you have any? Like, I I feel like as the Margaret, as like I guess reflecting on all of that, like, uh, and having like uh, cr- created or founded or like whatever the show, I'm just wondering if you have any like kind of more reflections on a hundred episodes of look like the world is dying and anything that you would like to see kind of like in the future, like going, going forward for maybe more specifically for the show. We've kind of talked about what we yeah. would love to see people do in their lives. But
0: I never expected live like the world is dying to take off. I obviously started it right before the pandemic began. So that gave me a little boost right out the gate, you know, but I never expected my interest in preparedness to be more generalized. And, you know, I've been so used to feeling One time I lived on a land project and I was saying, if the following bad thing happens, don't worry, I've got about six months worth of food for everyone in the barn. And the person, one person was like, you have salt? And I was like, yeah, no, yeah, I've got a bunch of giant cans of salt. And then I realized they were joking. Oh. And. (laughs) Golly. You know, and I, I, uh, I feel less alone as a result of the success of this show. And I've heard from other people, I've heard from listeners who feel similarly. One of my favorite types of messages to get in this world is people who were sort of apolitical, getting into preparedness, and were starting to get sucked towards individualistic and uh, right-wing preparedness, and then ran across this show and felt like they they were pulled back from that brink. I also sometimes hear from people who are starting to normalize as part of anarchist and mutual aid practice to encourage individual preparedness. And I also say that I would say that over the hundred episodes and the, the th- coming on four years of the show, I've learned so much from the people that I've interviewed and from the people that you've interviewed and, and that Brooke of interview had, has interviewed and it's really given me a lot more of a holistic picture of what preparedness is. It's really helped me focus my own thoughts on the matter, and you know, I when I say things like "well, we can do it," I don't mean it's going to be easy, but I mean we can do it, you know. And like, and and one of the things that I've learned by being an anarchist and how Bonanno influences this is that doing it is the winning, right? It's not about like, you know what? I have like 0% chance of surviving what? life. Life kills you. <laughs> we all fucking die. Right. Yeah. And so all we can do is live as well. And as an alliance, allegiance to our own values as we can. And, I think preparedness is a big part of that. And I think that preparedness has taught me responsibility. I come from a very chaotic background. I think that anarchists in general sometimes eschew responsibility a little bit too much, even though that often when, when crisis comes up, we are some of the more like our entire ethos is built on responsibility. <laughs> and, and sometimes we forget that. And the show has helped me remember that. And a million fucking listeners listens is a fucking lot, and that's cool as shit. I don't know if I... That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's it's like a lot more than a million now. Hell just, yeah. You, we, 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 we didn't like just barely hit scratch it. We're like, whoof Hell the, yeah. Through the millions. Well, um,
0: should I do a little closeout spiel?
1: Yeah, totally. And if you want to
0: support us, you should tell people about the show, you should tell people about it in person, you should tell people about it while organizing uh, preparedness gatherings where people from your region get together and talk about needs and how you can help each other. Uh, and we'll probably be putting together a little bit of a like how to do that based on one that I'm going to say we organize, but that's like <laughs> overemphasizing my own importance in the organization. And you can also just uh, rate and review and do all that other algorithmic shit. I am becoming more and more of a crotchety old lady and I hate all that shit. But you can also support us on Patreon. We pay our transcriber and we pay our audio editor. Um, We have hopes of paying our guests and hosts at some point as well. And... If you want to help make that happen, you can support us on Patreon. We are published by Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, which puts out several other podcasts, including Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, which features our monthly zine, as well as The Spectacle, recently renamed from Anarcho Geek Power Hour, and which talks about nerdy shit in a way that is hopefully entertaining. Well, it is entertaining. But in particular, we want to thank some of our patrons. We want to thank...
1: Wait, sorry. One second. I've had a new thing. I've had a new idea about these acknowledgements. So these acknowledgements that we do at the end of each episode mm-hmm. of our podcasts are for people who are like in our uh, $20 a month, Patreon tier and um, maybe piggybacking off, you know, some of other, some of Margaret's other work is you, if you sign up for this $20 a month tier, will acknowledge something and it could be you, it could be a mutual aid group that you work with. Or dare I say, it could be whatever you say that we want to acknowledge. Obviously, we're not going to do anything fucked up, like pee pee
0: but... poo poo or something. Yeah. If you want me to yeah. say pee pee poo poo, <laughs> you if you give me twenty dollars a month, I'll fucking say it.
1: Yeah. So, in reframing this, and we have some other stuff coming out for our twenty dollars a month patrons. Hopefully, hopefully soon, some more, some more stuff beyond acknowledgements. Um, but you can get us to say funny things or thank theoretical concepts um by signing up <laughs> for our, our 20 dollars a month <laughs> Patreon tier and that is that is my new plug about about the acknowledgments tier
0: that rules okay well this is the list from before <laughs> anyone realized they could do that and it is Patoli and Eric and Percival Buck Julia Catgut Marm Carson Lord Harkin Trickster Princess Miranda Ben Ben Anonymous Funder Janice Nodell, Ally Paparuna, Milika, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, SJ, Page, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Kirk, Chris, Micaiah, and the immortal Haas the Dog.
1: Thanks, everyone.
0: Talk to you soon.